This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. All right, starting in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out the slave woman woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite to him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite to him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me, or with my descendants, or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took a sheep and an oxen and gave them over to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because, they were both, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned uh, to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. 
And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Amen. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, Brent. But as we were worshiping this morning, the thought occurred to me, you know, why do we come to church on Sundays? Why do we come on Sundays? Is it because we've had a great week and we just want to come and celebrate our great week that we've had and our heart is just full of all the good things we've done and, and we're happy about that? Sometimes, sometimes that's it, isn't it? Uh, sometimes it's because our heart's not so full with the great things we've done, but burdened by the sin that we've committed and the, just the people we've hurt, right? And uh, so that was one of, the, one of the thoughts I had this morning. God is good and He will meet us where we are. And often I've come in the second category, not the first. Uh, and as I'm worshiping, as I meet with the elders and we're praying and, then as we meet, and we, when we are worshiping together, God meets me where I am. And He's faithful to do that. Well, you know, the Scriptures had not been written when Abraham was alive. There was no Old Testament, none of it. But if Abraham could have written a verse in the Scripture, I think he could have written Psalm 1971. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I can relate to that. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 1971. The way he handled things with Abimelech the first time, we saw that last week, brought affliction and well-deserved to Abraham. Uh, he, he learned from this, and that's the good thing. He learned from what he had done that hurt others. And our afflictions, coupled with the grace of God, work together in tandem to help us to grow into men and women of God. He conforms us to his image, but he does that often through the afflictions that we bring upon ourselves or that come upon us undeservingly, perhaps, but those afflictions bring us into his presence and make us wiser, better followers than we could have been without those two working together. I think we all can recognize that. Well, the story of Isaac's birth today is bookended, if you will, and that's why I wanted Matt to do the whole chapter because the bookends of this story of Isaac's birth are Abraham's first encounter with Abimelech. We saw that last week, and Abraham didn't do so well. And then Abraham's second encounter with Abimelech, same guy, same pagan king, and today it's a little bit better. It's evidence that God uses our pain to sanctify us. He grows us up uh, through that, and he brings himself glory. Let's look at this story under three main points. Birth report, sibling rivalry, and conflict resolution. So there she is. The first verse tells the story. I love that verse. It's just it's the whole gospel right here in one verse. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. The Lord visited his people as he said, and he did to them and for them and in them and through them as he had promised. The Lord says it. The Lord does it. We can count on the name of the Lord. He keeps his word. And the results in this, this passage is that this woman, who had just started her 10th decade, is now expecting her first baby. Wow. So the giddiness of that announcement in this text could have only been exceeded by the unmitigated joy that came upon them nine months later when this little baby, Isaac, was born. He was born at just the time God said it would happen, and the scene is dominated by laughter. You just imagine Abraham and Sarah 
uh, you know, falling out of their chair. They're laughing so hard at this miraculous birth that has come upon them, these two ancients. I mean, the mother's 91 and, and the father's 100. And they're getting ready to raise laughter whom they're holding in their arms, as Isaac's name means he laughs. And Sarah says, she says, everybody who hears this will laugh. I mean, when they hear that there's a 91-year-old in our camp who's nursing her first baby, they will laugh. And, and they, they did. And that laughter, I would imagine, for those who knew God like Abraham knew God, and, and it, turned, it turned to praise for the one for whom nothing is what? Impossible. So Abraham circumcises Isaac on the eighth day as God had commanded him. And of course, isn't that amazing that, that God was way ahead of science? We're told now by doctors that the eighth day is the best day to circumcise a baby because that's the day when there's the least amount of bleeding and suffering. So three years go by as the custom of the day was to nurse a baby for uh, three years, sometimes longer. But let's just give it three. Let's just imagine that, that now Isaac is three years old. And so he's going to be weaned and Abraham puts on a big shindig and everybody's there and they're eating and they're having fun and everything seems to be wonderful for this new little, this new little family, you know, just three months, uh, three months or three years into it. And then something happens that we'll see next. There's sibling rivalry. During little Isaac's I'm eating solid food party, Sarah happens to see big brother Ishmael laughing at him and it's not the kind of laughter that we saw in the first part of this text where everybody was laughing about God's grace and God's gift and what an amazing thing this is hilarious that God is doing this is wonderful no this is not that kind of laughter in fact um, the KJV says it's mocking it doesn't say laughing it says mocking and that's that's literally what the word means that he's he's laughing not with his little brother three-year-old brother Isaac. He's laughing at his three-year-old. He's pointing and laughing and mocking him. And that's when the mama bear and Sarah rises up. You ever seen the mama bear rise up, folks? When somebody picks on mama bear's kid or children, what does mama bear do? Yeah, she starts growling. And she goes immediately to Abraham and says, get rid of him and get rid of her out of here. Get them out of here. Now, this is going to stand up or turn out to be grace for all involved. We'll see that. But let's face it, vengeance does not look good here on Sarah. I mean, this is the son who was born because Sarah told her husband to take her servant and make a baby. Because look, we're not waiting on this child of the promise any longer let's get this thing going we need a child in this family and you're going to make it happen with my servant chop chop let's do this thing it was her idea remember that and now it's never a good plan by the way to do anything outside of god's plan but now that son who is her husband's son but that son is making fun of her son She's having none of it. Look, her instincts are correct to protect her child. There's a, there's a motherly instinct there that is a good thing. And we're thankful for that instinct that mothers and fathers have to protect her child. 
But it seems like she really doesn't care at all what happens to Ishmael or Hagar. In fact, she doesn't even call them by their names. You notice that? She doesn't even use their names. She doesn't say, hey, get Ishmael and Hagar out of here. She says, you know, cast out this slave. Now, well, she was her servant, but now all of a sudden she's a slave. Cast out this slave with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now, what is going on here besides Mama Bear acting maybe above, above and beyond the pale to get rid of this, this uh, threat to her son? Well, there's a spiritual truth here that Paul identifies for us in Galatians. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time he was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So this was a lesson even as early as Moses' time when it was written down for the children of Israel, that there is a seed, there is a line of promise. And of course, we've been grafted into that by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ. But that's what's happening here on a spiritual level. Now, at this point, Abraham doesn't know what to do. He's disturbed by this. I mean, this is his son we're talking about. And, and so he, he, he doesn't know what to do. His wife is telling him to send them away. Uh, he doesn't want to because he knows that if, it, if he sends them into the wilderness, we're talking about the desert here, folks. If he sends these two into the wilderness, they are probably going to die. So that's the reality of what he's doing. He's, re, he's uh, wrestling with here. Very interesting, the wording here. He rose up early in the morning. In the next chapter, we'll see that he rose up early in the morning. In this case, he takes Hagar and Ishmael and gives them some supplies that will last just a few days and sends them packing. And next text is, he rose up early in the morning and he takes his only son, the son of promise, to take him to sacrifice him. I can imagine his relief when God spoke here. Because Abraham's conflicted. What am I going to do? My wife's telling me one thing. I, I want to do the opposite. This is my son. And God says, no, go ahead and, and, and do it. God speaks here. There are two, there's two oracles here that are going to drive the action of the rest of this text. At least this story. He says, whatever, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. And then God says, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he's your offspring. In other words, Abraham, do what she says. I'm going to take care of it. You can trust me, Abraham. Now, this is going to come into play next chapter. You can trust me, Abraham. I'm telling you to do this thing, and it's going to be okay. I like what Griffith Thomas wrote. He said, God was taking up the tangled threads of his servant's life, weaving them into his own divine pattern and overruling everything for good. And if that was true of Abraham, it's true of the sons and daughters of Abraham of whom we, we are. The grace of God does the same for us. So that, that's the first oracle that comes from the Lord. He speaks on behalf of Isaac to remove any threat to him and his inheritance. But the next oracle comes in the wilderness. Hagar and Ishmael are out of water, a deadly thing to happen in the desert. She sends him a bow shot away. I'm guessing that was 100 yards, maybe more. You guys who are archers could tell me you know, how far that was. But let's say it was 100 yards away. Why? The Bible tells us. 
Why does she send him a hundred yards away where she's, he sits under a bush? Because she doesn't want to watch him die. You know what's strange about this story is that Ishmael by this time is about 16 years old. Isn't that weird? He's called a child in the text. He wasn't a child. He was really almost a full-grown man. And, and it should the roles here should be reversed. I mean, 16-year-old should be taking care of his mama to make sure that she gets the last drop of water. He's trying to find something, you know, cactus or whatever, to squeeze into a cup or something. But that doesn't happen. She moves him away so she doesn't have to watch her son die. And that's when the second oracle happens. She's weeping, and apparently Ishmael is too, or he's crying out to God, or he's crying out to somebody. And the Lord hears, and the angel comes and calls to Hagar from heaven and says to her, don't be afraid, God's heard the boy. And the angel says, go get him on his feet, for I will make him into a great nation. Then it's it's funny, it says, then her eyes were open and she saw well. I just have to wonder, was that well there and she just didn't see it before? Or did God create a well out of sand in the desert? You know, it really doesn't matter because it's a miracle either way that she didn't see this oasis that was within sight or that God created it, you know, but it's, it's there and God provides just as he will in the next chapter. God provides for Ishmael. And he sent, even though he had been sent into the wilderness and the people of Israel are hearing this read to them by Moses and they're where when they're hearing this, where they've been sent into the wilderness for 40 years and God's providing for them as well. Well, the postscript of this story is pretty simple. Ishmael lived in the wilderness. He grew up in the wilderness. He became great at what? What did he became, become good at? Archery, right? So... That's in the story. She had a bow or he had a bow or whatever, and and now he's an expert archer. His wife finds him a wife from Egypt, which is where Hagar is from, and we'll hear more about Ishmael later. But God watched over Ishmael and provided for him, but he was not, Ishmael was not a follower of God. He was not a follower of God. And the people who follow Ishmael will not be followers of God for the most part. He's not the child of promise. Again, Paul writes, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. That leads us to the last point, conflict resolution. Again, if, we, if, if, if Abraham could have written a life verse, it would have been this one. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Because Abraham had learned from his afflictions, his own self-made suffering in his first account with Abimelech when he lied about Sarah being his his not being his wife. And, and you know, a, a year has gone by. Abraham was 99 when he lied to Abimelech, and now he's, uh, he's, he's hit the century mark. <laughs> and he's matured a lot, right? By the time he turned 100, he was pretty mature. And my wife and a lot of you men's wives are praying mightily every day that we, they, they won't have to wait quite that long. This encounter starts with Abimelech acknowledging that he sees the handprints all over Abraham's life. I love this. He says, God is with you in all you do. May may we each grow in humility to the point that we are able to speak that to people. We see God working in their lives. You You talk about encouraging and building up people. When you see God's hand on somebody's life, tell them. 
Don't tell somebody else, you know, I saw God working in that, you know, that person's life when he, you know, he or she did this, whatever. Tell that person. That's encouraging. I know Abraham was encouraged when Abimelech said, and, and even the commander of the army said, we see God working in you. God's handprints all over you. These are people who don't even know God. May we be the person who tells that. May we also be the person who receives that. And then Abimelech asks Abraham to make a deal. He says, hey, let's, let's make a deal with one another. You know, and it reminded me of last Sunday at Putt-Putt. Yeah, last Sunday there were 28 of us playing Putt-Putt. 27, and they didn't need one more ringer, so they asked me to play. What can I say? So they, they asked me to play with the Putt-Putt, and so I'm on a team with Tyler Moore. You guys know Tyler Moore? He's sitting right back there with the Moore family trying not to be noticed. But he said, hey, Pastor Fox, I'll make you a deal. I said, all right, what's the deal, Tyler? He said, if you beat me in Putt-Putt, you have to mention me in your sermon. <laughs> I thought, that's pretty bold of this young man in the eighth grade. But not only is he bold, he's a good putter. All right, so Abraham asked uh, Abraham, Abimelech asked Abraham to prom. He just beat me by one. Come on. Michael Latour also. Who was it? Michael Latour was low man? Okay. Michael Latour, but he wasn't on my team, so I didn't have to mention him in the sermon, but I just did. Way to go. So Bimelech asked Abraham to promise he would not deal falsely with him and, or with those who follow after him. He says, if I, as I've dealt kindly with you, so you deal with me. And Abraham agrees. This is a business transaction of sources taking place between these two men. They both have enterprises that they are responsible for, and it's a basic business agreement which is built on trust. And that trust allows each party to do what they're supposed to do, but it also allows for discussion when there's a breach of contract. When a promise is broken, there should be a discussion. And, you know, that's supposed to happen in marriage. You know, and part of my difficulty in marriage for 40 years is a lot of times I don't want to talk about it. Or if we do talk about it, I don't want to argue about it. I want to get defensive about it. Uh, ask Cindy and she'll give you the, all the dirty details. So, but the, the, the trust is, is broken when one party will not agree or keep that agreement. And that breach happens pretty fast as Abraham talks to Abimelech about a well. Let me tell you about a well, he says. It was a deep problem, that well. You know, the two men digging one once upside down, one of them fell out. Okay, sorry. But the business ran to a snag because Abimelech's men seized one of Abraham's well. Now, notice what Abraham did when these two men who have an agreement, a deal, they brokered a deal. Notice what Abimelech does or Abraham does when there's a breach. Here it is. He went and talked with Abimelech. Abimelech had, had, had broken his contract and he didn't even know it. And so Abraham went and talked to him. He didn't try to hurt the men who tried to seize the well, well right? He, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't uh, pack up his things and move away. He didn't sit in his tent, Abraham, and pout. He didn't go on social media. Didn't exist. Was a better time back then. Didn't go on social media and tell his followers about how he'd been wronged by this person. He went straight to Abimelech so they could work it out. Let me just say this, folks. When people have hurt you and you don't go straight to them as soon as possible and it just continues to fester 
what will happen? What's it called in Hebrews? A root of bitterness. If you have something against somebody in your life you haven't dealt with, then you're going to become bitter. There's just no question about it. And the Bible says that root of bitterness defiles many. So you begin to tell other people about this thing that happened to you, and you begin to tell other people about this thing that happened to you and defiles them as well. And we just can't do that. We can't. We cannot exist with bitterness in our hearts. You know, is is interesting. I remember reading a story about. I probably told you this illustration, but the Swedish Swedish people did a, an identical twin study. So they're looking at uh, twins who are identical twins. They have the same genetic makeup, right? Same genes, and and they're looking at the difference between this twin who has all the risk factors of heart of heart disease and this twin who has has the same risk factors but doesn't get heart disease. This one's a smoker, they're obese, they don't exercise, uh, they drink too much, and, and yet they don't, they don't have heart disease. This one has the same risk factors, but they, they have a heart attack and die. What, what they found out is the one that did not have heart disease was the one who had a habit of dealing with conflict as soon as it happened. If someone hurt him, he went to them to try to work it out and fix it. And the person who did not go and fix that, bitterness set in, and it was bitterness that caused him to die. And so the doctor said, basically, what we found out is, you know, you can either work out your problems with people and deal with your conflict quickly, or you can die early. Your choice. So Abraham doesn't do that. He goes to Abimelech, and he, he says, this is, this is what happened, right? Your men stole... Uh, one of my wells, and he reproved, and the Bible there says reprove, which can be translated correct or convince. And trust has to work both ways, so we notice that how Abimelech received the reproof, better than I do a lot of times. He did not argue. He did not turn the accusation into an accusation of his own. He said, well, I, well let me tell you what your guys told. He did not run away. He simply acknowledged that he don't, I don't know who did it, and I didn't know about this until today, but today I know about it, and I'm going to make it right. Basically, that's the understanding that we get from the text, is that there's no attempt to deny, just asking for grace and time to resolve the matter as he had just heard about it. And, and then, then the amazing thing happens, right? Abimelech doesn't give Abraham something because he men stole the well. What happens? Abraham gives Abimelech. He says, here, here's some sheep and here's some oxen. Now, we, we probably can surmise from this that they're making a covenant, and covenant was usually done with blood spilled. And so the sheep and the oxen were slaughtered, and there was a blood covenant, and, and they, now they, they really did have a commitment to one another that was based on a covenant that they had made. And then he gives Abimelech seven ewe lambs, not to sacrifice, but he says, whenever you see these ewe lambs, you remember that I dug that well. And Abimelech agrees, and he goes back to his land, and Abraham built, plants a tree and worships God at that tree and, and moves on from there. So what do we see in this chapter is that God's been polishing and working with Abraham, working his character, polishing him, bringing adversity, allowing adversity to come so that Abraham will grow up and be the man that God wants him to be more and more.
And he's doing the same for me. I, I saw this quote from Fred, Frederick Beekner, and he really is pronounced Beekner, even though it doesn't look like that. He says, we believe in God. We have faith because certain things happen to us once and go on happening. We work and goof off. We love and dream. We have wonderful times and awful times, are cruelly hurt and hurt others cruelly, get mad and bored and scared stiff and ache with desire, do all such human things as these. And if our faith is not mainly just window dressing or a rabbit's foot or fire insurance, it is because it grows out of precisely this kind of rich human compost. The God of biblical faith is the God who meets us at those moments in which for better or worse we are being most human, most ourselves. And if we lose touch with those moments, and if we don't stop from time to time to notice what is happening to us and around us and inside us, we run the tragic risk risk of losing touch with God too. Well, Abraham is in touch with God and that faith will be tested like it's never been tested before. But God's prepared him for this moment as he's prepared us as well. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful you're God of grace and the God of glory and that your grace working with adversity in our lives brings you glory and brings us good, helps us to grow, helps us to mature, and helps us to be a blessing to others. Lord, help us to take these lessons that we've learned today in Abraham's life and apply them to our own that we might be used mightily of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.